coming up on golf today more reaction on the week that was in Rome Ian Carter of the BBC will bring us the European perspective after a seventh straight home win and for a close look at Team USA our pal Trip Eisenhower will talk captain's picks with six too many too few or spot on for Zach Johnson and our roundtable looks back at the nail-biting finish at the Solheim Cup in Spain. Should all cup competition do away with ties and let the players play on? Find out next on Golf Today. Golf Today. Today on Tuesday, Damon Hack alongside George Savarikas. I tell you what, ever since Friday morning, American golf fans woke up that meme that made its way across the web with Joe Pesci with the Americans looking at that score. Like, what happened? I mean, this is going to be a Ryder Cup. I think we can talk about for days on end. And that's what makes the Ryder Cup so unique. If you're looking at a normal, say, major championship and you have a duel down the stretch, you can pinpoint all. Oh, a guy pulled the wrong club here, three-putted here. That's why this tournament ultimately was decided in one guy's favor or the others. When you have the Ryder Cup and you have two 12-man teams with captains, vice captains, all the build-up to it, the execution during it, yeah. and the post-mortem after it, trying to diagnose, okay, why is Europe won 10 of 14? And why have the Americans been unable to win in Europe since 1993? There's so many different directions you can go. You can put your focus on... Was it the prep? Yeah. Was it the team construct? Uh, was it this sense of culture that mm. we're going to touch on throughout the show? Some of this is abstract. Some of it has data to support it. It's part art, part science. But when you unpack it with just the, the depth that the Americans have had over the years, it's really confusing, kind of befuddling to think that the Americans over the past 28 years have just won 10 or they've lost 10 out of 14 Ryder yeah. Cups. It's, it's just such a shocking stat when you really look at it in a broad view of how the Ryder Cup has really unfolded over the past three decades. It's a broad, big onion that we're going to try to peel back the layers little by little. Let's go back to Sunday. You'll recall it. Marco Simone, U.S., trying to claw back from that five-point deficit, but not to be as the Ryder Cup returned to the Europeans. Tommy Fleetwood secured that clinching point over Ricky Fowler with the conceded putt. Wanted to see him putt that you, for the Ryder you Cup. Did. I don't think it would have made a difference, but you wanted to see him have to make the putt. And here's the scene we've been watching over and over again every four years, give or take. On European soil, Tommy Fleetwood getting it done once again. Here are the singles results. You might recall, pinpoint a few of those. Raman Scheffler tied that rematch stuff from Whistling Straits. Hovland 4-3 over Con Morikawa. Rory got the better of Sam Burns, 3-1. And Fleetwood, of course, with that 3-1 victory over Ricky Fowler, making it official. They showed some signs of life. I mean, there was maybe a 45-minute period where you thought, okay, this could be an amazing comeback by the Americans before the Europeans closed the door those final three matches. Results of the last five Ryder Cups since 2014. We've just alternated home wins and home wins. Glenn Eagles, it was the Europeans, 16 and a half to 11 and a half. That's the closest margin that we've seen in the past five Ryder Cups replicated in Rome with that same margin of 16 and a half to 11 and a half. So what's been the secret sauce for the Europeans over time, they really weigh in on their team culture. 
we're united by a, a culture. We're united by the, a generation of players that have come before us. And this is our time. You know, Luke's been very clear on that message. This is our time to shine, but it's our time to shine, not because this is our stage. We are just taking care of it because of the amazing role models that we have before us that have shown us how to do it. You know, I feel there's a really strong culture in the European team. A good pairing in the European team doesn't mean playing with your best mate. You know, it means about representing something bigger than yourself. And I feel like that's, for me, what being a European Ryder Cup player is all about. As Rosie said, um, Sevi, Ollie, the, the legends of the Ryder Cup that have, that have came before us. You know, we're, we're caretakers of, of, of this European jer jersey right now. And, you know, we're hopefully going to pass it on in the future in a, in, a better, in a better spot than where we found it. I think that's really what we are right now. Obviously, I don't have as much experience in Ryder Cups as, as Rosie and, and Rory have, but I mean, I, I think they, they nailed it. Uh, is, is the ability to walk through those gates or through the doors and forget about who you are outside this week, right? What you've done or you may do afterwards really, truly doesn't matter. Um, in my case, obviously, this, this certain Spanish legacy to live up to that is, is certainly not easy, right? The, the three main figures before me, Sevi, Oli, and Sergio, are three guys that, if I'm not mistaken, all three of them have earned over 20 points in the Ryder Cup. Um, three out of nine are Spanish, right? So it's, it's a lot to live up to, and it's something that really inspires me, especially when, when Jose is around, right? He's always telling me, you know, little things to, to inspire me in that sense. Uh, so following on their footsteps and how they try to make the team better is, is the way I've approached it as well uh, and try to do my part in the team room. Roy posting this today. There's nothing like being a part of the Ryder Cup Europe. The camaraderie and connection I feel to the players, captains, vice captains, fans, and all the backroom staff make this event the greatest week in golf. Something he emphasized. I'm so proud of this team and so happy I can play a small part in its success. Memories to last a lifetime. So, Damon, with that as the background, now let's welcome in BBC golf correspondent Ian Carter joining us on the show. And Ian, We've been hearing the European team making a big deal about team culture. Why have the Europeans been so successful in instilling and maintaining this sense of team culture over seemingly the past few decades? I think it just goes right back to the days when Europe first started winning Ryder Cups. It was such a special thing. And there was that feeling that the only way that Europe could ever beat the United States was to have that team culture and it would be the collective that would overcome the superstars of America. And that has been the ethos and it was epitomized by Seve Ballesteros and captain after captain after captain is remembering Seve Ballesteros. Luke Donald did it last week and he created that team culture and it's been handed down from one captain to another. And I think it's interesting that the, the least effective European performances, if I can put it that way, have been really when it's been the biggest golfing stars who have been the captains. You think of Sir Nick Fowler, you think of Padraig Harrington last time. You know, it's those big major winners uh, who perhaps haven't quite instilled the same kind of team ethos that Luke Donald did, that Paul McGinley did, and the other very successful European captains. The team ethos, the team culture, as you describe it, different than maybe the team culture provided by the Americans. Is it superior, the European team ethos, to the Americans in your mind? 
I, I, I think it is. I, 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 you know, I look at the way that Luke Donald assembled his team of vice captains and they all had different roles to play. Eduardo Molinari was obviously the statistical guru that the whole team built into, but the, you could see each captain had a different responsibility, whether it was Nicholas Colsarts for revving up the crowd. They all had separate roles. I was out there on the golf course. I saw Freddie Couples out there. I saw Stuart Sink. I saw Jim Furyk. But I wondered actually what they what they were doing um, and how cohesive it was in the background. And honestly, I I've no idea how cohesive it was. But when I look at the the results and the clarity of the way that Europe went about their business, it made me think that you know something you know an awful lot of very deep thinking had gone into it. And I don't underestimate also, Damon, the fact that it is so hard to win away from home. I think the next time a Ryder Cup team wins away from home, it will be the result of extraordinary diligence. Um, and that's why I've written on the BBC Sport website today that I think Luke Donald should be given that chance because I think he is an exceptional captain and he offers, I think, Europe their best chance of, of winning in America for the first time in 10 years. And I know, obviously, for the Americans, it now stretches back to 34 years and all sorts of different uh, ways, the task forces, Tom Watson, go back to a legend, all of that. It just hasn't worked, has it, for, for America? Some, and it, it's going to take something very, very special to create an American team that can travel and win, I think. Now, now, hold on one second, Ian. You said you watched these assistant captains on the American side, the Coupleses, the, the Furyks, the Stuart Sink, and you had no idea what their role was, what they were well, doing? No, I, I, I couldn't see what they were doing. I mean, they were standing, they were watching, they, they'd speak into their, into their walkie-talkies every now and again, but that could only be a match update. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, so I was following uh, one of the, the matches. Now, if you... Uh, at Marco Simone went down the eighth hole. You could go all the way down to the eighth. It was a 500-yard par four, and then you've got a 600-yard par five ninth to come. Now, if if you wanted to take the shortcut, which, in all honesty, I did, doing 36 holes a day of re of, uh, of radio commentary, you could go over the little bridge where Wyndham Clark went into the water on one of the days on Saturday, and you, you could go over that bridge and you could watch the, the, the proceedings on the ninth from, I don't know, 150 yards away, but give yourself a very big shortcut. Now, there was, I saw Fred Couples do exactly that. I'm not blaming him. However, somewhere of a similar ilk in Jose Maria Olathabal went all the way to the green. And that's what I mean about just going the extra mile, that that's what Europe seemed to be doing last week. Um, and, 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 you know, America have to be able to turn around and say they left no stone unturned. Now, I might be reading into that something that was totally insignificant, but I can't help feeling that it might have been symptomatic of the level of effort that America put in. And I'm not saying that they weren't wholehearted about it. I'm just saying that Europe were prepared to take that extra step. You have the anecdotal example of, I guess, the, the differences that you saw, at least in, in one circumstance, with how the assistant captains or vice captains handled the week. There was a, a clear difference leading up to the Ryder Cup in how the Europeans, and part of it was how the DP World Tour schedule 
aligned leading up to the Ryder Cup, the competitive form they had compared to the Americans. The Americans said that that, that had little impact. They just didn't play well. Sky Sports analyst Andrew Coltart was on with us yesterday. He said that it had a huge impact. What do you think? I, 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 th I said it all the way through that I, I thought not playing since the end of August for nine of the, the American players, they must be more rusty than rested going into it. And that, that just proved, it, it was proved on the first day. You go through a whole day without winning a single match. And the margins are so fine. And imagine if it was the case that two of the players hadn't played for five weeks and the rest had. How much of a spotlight would be on those two players? Here we had nine. Here we had the overwhelming majority of the team. And, you know, I know that an awful lot goes into scheduling. And from a European point of view, it's a nice coincidence. And the only reason that the BMW PGA is where it is, is because of the, the, the rejig of the whole calendar over the last couple of years. And we know that there are all sorts of different factors that have gone into that. But Europe capitalised on it. All 12 of their players went to Rome. I thought it was a fantastic effort to get nine Americans to go all the way to Rome to do their prep. However, you know, it wasn't all 12. Um, it was a big step forward from France, <laughs> you know, where only Justin Thomas played the, the French Open. It was, it, let, don't get me wrong, totally uh, unrealistic to get the American team to play the Italian Open, where it was in the schedule in, in May. That just was never going to happen. But what I am saying is that for America to win in Europe, I think they have to do something exceptional. I think, you know, if they're going to win in a dare manner, they will have to come over. They will have to make sure that they play in the lead up to that match competitively. They will have to do a, a proper recce. And if everybody buys in, then people will stop talking about and questioning the level of American commitment compared with what is, as we know, a massive sense of commitment that the European teams always seem to have. I mean, this streak goes back to 1993. You would think that every I would be dotted and every T would be crossed, Ian. But how about on the golf course on Saturday? It seemed as though the Americans were starting to close the gap also from a momentum and emotional standpoint. And then you had the incident on 18 with... Patrick Cantlay, Joel Acaba getting a little too close to Rory McIlroy. In, in your mind, did that kind of regalvanize the Europeans and give them something else to fight for come Sunday? I think it, I, I, Damon, I think it, it galvanized both both teams. Uh, and Sunday was just an, a, an epic day. And, you know, as soon as Cantlay was the middle of this maelstrom, I was out on the course following him on that on that Saturday afternoon. He was brilliant. I mean, he was stunning. And he had a great Ryder Cup, and I wouldn't question his commitment in the slightest. And he responded to the way that the crowds were treating him. And then we had a classic Ryder Cup controversy on, on the 18th, and that fired up Rory McIlroy for the next day. And it set up, for me, a, a, one of the great Ryder Cup days. And I do think that if, you know, the American players actually played themselves, they shed their rust on the first day. The only difference between the teams was the first day and that you know that's why america lost but they were rusty because they hadn't done enough in the build-up and we were saying it in the build-up and 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 so and and so it played out by the time they got to sunday they 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 were much sharper golfers and they were competitive 
but they were they were shown up on that first day. I mean, the the first session on the Friday was was awful. Um, and yes, they fought back in in the afternoon, but Europe had that extra that just that extra edge that meant that they could eke out those vital halves on on Friday afternoon. But overall, it it was a fantastic Ryder Cup, and it went a lot deeper on Sunday than I think an awful lot of people were anticipating on the evidence of certainly what we saw on Friday. The crowds in size, scope, scale, very impressive in Rome. And it's, I mean, it's what we've seen the Ryder Cup grow into the past 20-plus years. I've been to two, one as a fan in 2016, working capacity in 2021. Are the crowds now having too much of an impact in the Ryder Cup as far as the level that we're pushing it to? That coupled with also home team course setup. Yeah, they're, they're definitely the 13th man. And I, I spoke to a number of European captains before this Ryder Cup to, to write a piece about why is it that America hadn't won uh, for 30 years. And, uh, and each and every one of them said the importance of the European support. And I think it's exactly the same when we go to America and the level of support that is there for the United States. But that's part and parcel of a tribal sporting competition, and that's at the heart of it. And I know there's a, you know, there's a bit of concern as to what it's going to be like when we get to Beth Page in two years' time in terms of the New York crowds. And we know what happened at Brookline, and you know, European uh, golfers still still look back at that and see that as a very infamous occasion. But it is partisan. That is part of it, and that that, that needle does have to be there for it to be a great. Ryder Cup. So I think that the organisers have to be, they have to be cognisant of that, that it's a delicate and a precious thing that can't be compromised going forward. And that spirit of sportsmanship has to remain strong. And that sense of fair play in the crowd has to remain somewhere. And it could be compromised, undoubtedly. Having said that, having said all of that, the, the staging in Italy was a new level, I thought, for, for the Ryder Cup. It was a golf course that was designed and made for that, for that tournament. The, the, the banking, the spectator areas, the additional grandstands, the giant screens, it was on a whole new level and it made a golf course a sporting stadium like never before, in my opinion. And it was, it was an absolute privilege to just be on that golf course and to hear the noise and the passion of the of the of the spectators and i think the players responded and you know i i think they certainly the europeans are going to have the fondest of memories of it but i also you know i'd love to sit down and talk to the american players and find out what they thought about it because yes it was hostile at times but it was it was one of those great sporting environments i thought a lot of guys spoke positively of it when we were chatting with andrew coulter yesterday he was in the 1999 Ryder Cup, where Payne Stewart famously conceded to Colin Montgomery because of heckling that occurred when the Ryder Cup was already determined to be a U.S. comeback victory. We have guys now saying that heckling's part of the Ryder Cup on both sides. Should they have to embrace that, where heckling and fans interacting and having an impact is just a, a given now compared to the tenor it was 20, 30 years ago? Yes, I, I think so in terms of, of support. I think where the line is, is when the heckling starts to impinge on performance, people shouting on the top of backswings and trying to influence shots. That that has to be 
zero tolerance. Otherwise, the game is gone, I think. Um, and I, I didn't... I think there were a couple of times players backed off. There may have been a couple of shots that were influenced. I don't know. I didn't see every shot that was that was played. I wasn't aware of, of anything that untoward in that respect. But, you know, when you're hearing boos on the first tee and that kind of thing... I, and you know the reception that Cantley was was getting um, that that's that's kind of part of partisan sport, isn't it? You, you know, if, if I, I'm going to a soccer match tomorrow night and I'll I'll boo the opposition and I'll cheer my team, and that's that's how it is when it's when it's tribal and when it's partisan. And the Ryder Cup is that. And if it's not that, then it's not the spectacle that it can be. And uh, so I think that's okay. But when it starts to impinge on on performance then that's that's a line that that can't be crossed last question and you were advocating for luke getting another crack in 2025 i know that on the american side it's been bandied about maybe it'd be tiger woods as Ryder cup captain if it's not luke who else is on that short list with so many stalwarts who went to the live side guys that were names that were potential future captains well, that's the issue, isn't it, George? You know, you've not you've not got a, a Lee Westwood, a Sergio Garcia, an Ian Poulter, Graham McDowell to step in. And I, you know, you, you think back a couple of years, and you're thinking, well, there's just a production line of European captains. So I think this is an opportunity for Europe to capitalise because they have found a very, very good captain here, and there's no great pressure. There's no one that is going to be upset. I don't think when they're going to say, well, actually, it should be me. It's my turn because those those guys have all gone to live. They're not members of the European Tour. They're not eligible. Of course, who knows what's around the corner. Maybe they'll be back in the fold and maybe they will be eligible. But I think this is just an opportunity right now to say, hang on a minute, Luke Donald, you've proved yourself to be exceptional. We know that it's going to be an exceptionally hard task to main, re retain the trophy at Beth Page. You're the one best qualified to do the job. And then I would have and I'm sure he would potentially have uh, Justin Rose, for example, as a vice captain, uh, and then he would be in position potentially for Adair Manor two years later. That's that's how I would see a line of succession uh, growing in, in the current climate. Yeah, clearly, the European cupboard is not bare, as it was proven this past week in Rome. Can't believe you're going to a football game after watching uh, walking 36 holes a day, Ian. We appreciate the time. Get some rest, and we'll speak to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Damon. Damon, let's dive into some of the details from the Ryder Cup. You look at the big three on each side. I mean, what a performance from Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, Victor Hovland. They go a combined 9-2-3. and three. They were the stalwarts for the European side. Flip it to the U.S. side. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantley, and Xander Shoffley. None of them had a winning record. They went a combined 3-7-2. and two. So a big disappointment at the top of the ranks for the American side, and you round out the, the captain's picks, the European side, they went eight, nine, and three, so about 500 with a mix of new faces and some veterans. Tommy Fleetwood was definitely a, a guy they leaned on throughout the Ryder Cup at, at three and one on the American side. Their captain's picks, Brooks Kepka, the only one without a losing record. He went one, one, and one. The rest, and losing records, they want to combine four, 12, and four. So the European studs played great. Their captain's picks were about 500. The Americans, the captain's picks, and their studs played poorly. So, I mean, you, you, you see the, the records there, and you could just see they're really, aside from Max Homa, 
No real bright spots for Team USA. Yeah, and it added up to a 16.5 to an 11.5 defeat. And I think Ian was spot on. The Americans love the Ryder Cup, and the players are prepared to play, but they have to go beyond love and beyond prepared to play if you're going to win on European soil. It has to be a, of desperate importance. Every single box must be checked. Clearly, this is a seven-match road losing streak now. It's going to take 12 of 12 or 11 of 12 playing in an Italian Open or playing at a Dare Manor ahead of time or instead of just Justin Thomas being in Paris. It's going to take above and beyond because the Europeans just come to this more naturally. They're able to put on that underdog cape. They're able to rally around Seve Ballesteros. They're able to do the intangible things that require the Americans to go above and beyond. This is simple now. This is seven straight. There's, there's no gray here. It's going to take an extraordinary performance. It's going to be tough for the Europeans as well. They did get Medina in 2012, but clearly it takes every single box checked for a road team to get the job done. And you need to have a week where there are no question marks as far as leading up to it. And, of course, you're going to have one or two when it comes to captain's picks if there are six, right. which, which is a massive number. Back in the day, there used to be two. There was a lot less of, okay, who got left off, who, who should have been on. If you only have two selections or four, six is half the team. Yes. So, so that's a big number. But when it comes to the lead-up and team construct and how the form guys are in, how much they're playing – leading up to the event, what type of recon trips they've gone? Has everyone been there? Uh, who has big influence? Is it the players? Is it the captains? Is it both? It just seems like we haven't gotten to a point where if you're a Team USA fan and you're watching what unfolded and that you look back on the week and say they did everything yeah. they possibly could, 100% maxed out everything and just gotten beaten. Yeah. There are certain questions you could ask where you're like, you know what? I, I don't know if only two guys playing Fortnite out of 12 made sense prep-wise. Max Homa. Not when 12 Europeans are playing two weeks before at the BMW PGA and playing well. It just, and Max Homa was one of the two. And the he played only guy well. with the winning record. So it just like, looked not, like the Americans were flat-footed. Just yeah. a little bit behind. And that includes on the golf course, slow start. The first three holes, George. Look at how the Americans yeah. perform versus the Europeans. Hole number one, Europe won 11 of four. Hole number two. 8-2. Hole number 3, 10-6. Lose the first session, 4-0. Just the entire week, it seemed like the Americans were just a step behind. Not quite as prepared. Not quite as ready to figure out how to tackle the golf course. Not quite as comfortable as the Europeans were. Not quite as match tough as the Europeans were. An old Pete Sampras term in terms of going into a big-time event sharp as a knife and, and absolutely ready. Jordan Speed said it himself. He said, listen, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I probably need more golf competitively than a five-week gap. It's all of these little things that add up to one big five-point defeat. And that's where you don't see the course correction necessarily inside the Ryder Cup you'd want to see. If Jordan Speed is saying, I needed more prep, and I think he went, what, 0-2-2? Yes. How are you not seeing what we were seeing during it and saying, okay, like let, let's take a knee here? Or there, there's something where we have to on the fly adjust because our preset game plan, which maybe it was very reliant on analytics, yeah. you got to rip it up 
Like there are certain points where if you're behind the eight ball, you got to make big changes where that's where you need a captain or whomever to step in and say, you know what? You're not hitting it it's, like we would expect you to hit it. So yeah. we got to sit you here and make this type of change. And it's a delicate balance because we we know that how Tom Watson handled it in 2014. It had worked in 1993. That's the last American victory on European soil. He went with the same approach in 2014 from a tenor conversation-wise. For his peers in 1993, that worked. The guys in 2014 clearly didn't feed off of it. They were a little more sensitive to it. Now it's almost we've gotten too far where we just have player coaches. I feel like there's almost a balance between the two where you want the players to have buy-in, cohesion, input. But when you have the players being the main voice picking the six captains picks, then you trend to play towards people that you're friends with. It becomes That's a buddy's trip as opposed to correct. whatever you can do, ego aside, as John Rum says, you walk on property, you're, you're, you're a European jersey wearer at that point. You're not John Rahm, the two-time major champ. You are a Listen, Americans grow up thinking about making the winning putt at the Masters or the U.S. Open. And I think European kids grow up thinking about making the winning putt at a Ryder Cup. And it's okay to say that. We're new to the passion compared to the Europeans. And, and, and I know Justin Thomas has pride. And you know Zach Johnson yep. did the best he could. And you know the Americans care and want to win and hate losing. But it's just not as organic. And when it's not as organic, there are going to be years when the Americans win, as we've seen. Hazeltine, we've seen them get the job done. Oh, wait, Valhalla. The Americans can win. But in this match play format, when you're not as comfortable playing foursomes, when you haven't won on foreign soil since the Clinton administration, you have to figure out things that go above and beyond. Being 10 out of 10 is not enough. You got to be 12 out of 10. You got to be 15 out of 10. You have to do whatever it takes. And Ian said it himself. One player playing in Paris, no good. Nine of 12 going on a, on a pre-con trip, better. But it's, at some point, it's going to have to be, you know what? This is as important as the Masters. This is as important as the U.S. Open or the PGA Chip. This is as important. And we're not quite there yet. We're getting there, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Wholeheartedly agree. And it's the urgency that the Americans had on Saturday morning is what they needed to have Friday morning because yeah. they played them 10-10 the last two days, but the margin way too big at that point. We're going to have much more on the 44th edition of the Ryder Cup as we're just getting rolling this Tuesday. We're going to continue to break things down when we return with Trip Eisenhower, his take on U.S. Ryder Cup captain Zach Johnson's team. What does the red, white, and blue need to do moving forward as you're watching Golf Today? And we are back on golf today. This was a scene on Sunday. Marcus Simone Golf and Country Club outside of Rome as the United States team couldn't end its winless drought on foreign soil in the Ryder Cup following the loss. The U.S. team spoke about the vibe in their team room. The loss that we had this week has absolutely nothing to do with team camaraderie because this is probably the closest best team I've ever been a part of. Um, we unfortunately just didn't play well enough. But, um, I mean... Uh, Kind of like Max said earlier about Sam, I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I didn't feel like the, the preparation was uh, necessarily the issue. I said it in, before the event. I thought this was the closest team I think I've been on. Um, we got a great group of guys. Like I said, we just, this week, they just hold a lot more putts, a few more chip-ins. Um, but proud of this team. We fought 
we fought hard um, and wouldn't want to do it with any any other group of guys. Maybe it was Brooks. We only we don't see him very often anymore. So <laughs> yeah, it was exciting to see everybody. I feel yeah. like I hadn't seen him in a few months. I only get probably, to see him a couple times It's because he had a baby, right? Oh yeah. 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 Living it up with a baby. So the current streak of five straight home victories in the Ryder Cup, if you total up between the two sides, dating back to 2014. The last time we saw that, Damon, five straight. First five Ryder Cups, 1927 mm. to 1935. It's been eight of nine. The Solheim Cup, there were five straight home victories between the Team USA and the Europeans. That was 1998 to 2005. Got us thinking, what are some other big current home win streaks? NCAA football, it's your defending national champion. Georgia Bulldogs have won 22 straight at home. And see, at men's basketball, you know this program. You yeah. like 25 straight. Hashtag Mick Cronin. <laughs> One undefeated <laughs> at home last year. NFL 49ers have now won nine straight at home. Undefeated right now at 4-0. So with that, we segue to Trips Takes. Time now <laughs> on the show here on <laughs> Golf Today. <laughs> Trip always undefeated at home. You know, I don't know about that. But, uh, uh, that's for sure. But uh, good stats there. We got to do something about that Georgia stat. Though. As a Georgia Tech guy, we got we to gotta do something. Yellow jacket. That. Figured that would be hard for you to stomach as we started this segment. Trip, what were the crucial missteps in your mind the Americans made in losing the Ryder Cup? Well, I, okay. First of all, I, the, the missteps, I, I think um, – was the, the going out in the first pairing, going with the analytics instead of going with, you know, uh, the experience and, the, and leaving 11 major championships on Friday morning on the sideline. I, I, I think that was and, and it's easy to second guess because they lost. They got swept. They were they got beat four and oh. And I understand Zach's, you know, thinking behind going with the analytics and and putting the, the pairings together based on that. But I think uh, in the, that lead match, that first one out, no matter the format, and by the way, Luke was pretty smart to change it uh, to going out with the alternate shot first. I think that was brilliant by, by Luke. And, and I, I think you, you just got to put your, your, your guys that have the major championships, the experience in the Ryder Cups, and you got to make your teams that way versus kind of the guys that like playing together. Uh, and, and also the fact that the analytics – uh, say this, and sometimes you got to shelve some of that. It's very important to use that, but I think ultimately, if I was going to second guess there, that's where I would say. The other thing, too, is I know for a fact that uh, uh, Zach Johnson, as a captain, wanted to kind of have a funny little aspect of, uh, of a video made by somebody that all the players think is very funny, and and the video was made, and and it was, and Zach wanted that you know kind of levity the night before, and I think. Players get over there, captains get over there, assistants, they start holding on too tight. And it, it was, they were told not to play that video. They were, it, it was a group decision by some of the captains that they thought it might affect the players adversely. And I, I think a European captain would have played that lighthearted video, would have played that, would have had that fun in the team room that is there. I'm not saying that that's this team, it, it, you know, would have won the Ryder Cup had that video been played, but I think. There has to be a little bit, and you guys are exactly right, by the way, that the, the prep and everything else about the Ryder Cup, it, it does mean the world of these players. It, it, losing hurts, and it certainly will motivate all the players that will be on the next team at Bethpage. There's no question about it. But I think when they get there, you, you see the Europeans play with intensity, but you also see 
They, they seem to be having fun, and maybe that's because they're on the home court. I don't know, because the Americans look like they were having fun at Whistling Straits, and the Europeans look like they were miserable. So m- maybe it's the case of just being on home soil and, and that, uh, you know, going into the rest of the team and being able to smile and have a little fun and be a little bit lighthearted. But it, it, it is a dynamic that I don't think is going to change until – the captains have a little less importance, and if I was going to change anything on the U.S. side, I would go to nine qualifiers and three picks. I would cut the picks in half, and that way the captain won't be second-guessed as much as Zach's going to be second-guessed. I don't disagree with many of his picks. The only one I would have possibly changed is put Keegan Bradley on a golf course where you're going to have to be in the fairway, one of the best drivers on the PGA Tour, and a guy with Ryder Cup experience. Winning you know, uh, or playing in a Ryder Cup is huge, and you know, that might be the only one that I, I, I would have second-guessed leaving uh, in the United States was Keegan Bradley. Trip, I find the revelation as to this video, whether to play the video or not, to be stunning, considering the Europeans under Thomas Bjorn had Connor Moore sketches doing a funny video for the European team. Luke Donald gets a video, heartfelt. The 12 members of that team, the family members, people who they grew up with, and it's a heartfelt video for that team. You're telling me that this American team cannot even figure out how to set the right tone to send these 12 players into battle? I find that stunning. Well, it's a lighthearted... It was was a video that kind of made fun of all the players in in their own way, and it was, you know, about an eight-and-a-half-minute video, and and I think it would have been great to play. I don't think... A Darren Clark wouldn't have played that for his team. I don't think a Luke Donald wouldn't have played that for his team. All I'm saying is everybody gets over there and they they start holding on too tight, and it starts with all the captains on down. And I think there's got to be a little bit of levity and take yourself a little bit less seriously when you get over there and just have an absolute ball from the time you get there. Enjoy the fact that people are going to be cheering against you when you hit it in the water and people are going to be clapping when you miss putts enjoy that embrace it and 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 you know have a good time with it all in all i will say ultimately every Ryder cup comes down to no matter what if the players make the putts and the europeans always seem to make them over there and the americans lately have been making them in the united states and the europeans have been missing but um it's a dynamic that the home the home team advantage is such a huge advantage because the course set up one I mean, Luke Donald did a brilliant job of taking the short irons out of the Americans' hands. Look, there were three par fours that are normally wedge holes. Well, he turned them into drivable par fours. Brilliant decision. And the par fours he made into second shots that were anywhere from 170 to 220 yards in, which is the European strength. That's exactly what you do. And and I guarantee you at Beth Page, and I think Tiger Woods is probably going to be the captain at Beth Page, I would think. That would make a, a really good captain at a really good venue, uh, Beth Page, for Tiger Woods to be a captain of the Ryder Cup. And I think he will have that set up exactly in, in a way that will uh, benefit every single American player that he has playing and try to you know mitigate some of the, the strengths of the Europeans. That's not going to change. But I, I do think that the Americans, when they get overseas, they have to be a little bit more lighthearted, say, hey, we have nothing to lose here. Let's go out and, and just have a ball this week and enjoy each other, which they clearly do. The players enjoy each other, but I think they get out there and they just get uh, wired a little, wound a little too tight, and it affects their play adversely at times. And we didn't hear the Americans talking as much about what the team room was like as far as the banter. The Europeans kept saying, oh, we're all making fun of each other. 
top down, and that's what the dynamic was like. Trip, aside from the miracle at Medina, the home team has won eight of the last nine in the Ryder Cup. So save for one amazing Sunday, it could have just been nine straight alternating between American soil and European soil. Is that good or bad for the Ryder Cup? It, I, look, it, it's bad when their margins like they've been. I mean, they've been, you know, 10-point margins, 5-point margins, 7-point margins, when, when it's a blowout. And, and look, as you guys said, for uh, on Sunday, it, for about 45 minutes, you were thinking, okay, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, and this, you know, possibly could happen, then we might have a, a, a close Ryder Cup. But really, the odds against that uh, coming into Sunday were so immense uh, and the U.S. did an admirable job of, of, of trying to keep it close. But ultimately, what, I don't mind if the home team wins. I want to get back to Ryder Cups. And if you look at, at in the 80s and 90s, primarily, there were a couple of four and five point uh, wins there. But there were 14 and a half, 13 and a half. There were 14, 14 ties. There were, I mean, those Ryder Cups were nail biters all the way through. And it came down to Bernhard Langer missing a 12-footer at Kiowa. It came down to Davis Love making the putt at Belfry the last time that the U.S. Uh, ended up winning on foreign soil. So I love to see it come down to that key moment, that key singles match, and it's right there on the line, and it's within a point whether that putt goes in or not. I don't mind if the home team wins if we get back to close Ryder Cups. Oh, the questions, the Monday morning quarterback, Tuesday <laughs> afternoon quarterback, and continue all the way to Beth Page in 2025. Trip, thanks for the time. Trip's takes. You got it, guys. Speaking of 2025, that's next up. Oh, let's play this song. I hope we play it a few more times. I want to wait till 2025. I love this song. Maybe Tiger Woods, the American captain, as Trip Eisenhower told us in 2025, or Darren Manor, 2027, Hazel Team, 2029. You'll recall 2016, the Americans won following the passing of the late great Arnold Palmer, 2033 in the city by the bay out in San Francisco, back in a bit. PGA Tour schedule resumes this week. Just a reminder, you can catch live first round coverage of the Sanderson Farms Championship Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern right here on Golf Channel. I'll be part of the uh, live broadcast team for this week's event. All right, George, looking forward to listening to you this week. Of course, we're in the midst of the FedEx Cup fall, these tournaments to finalize the top 125. Here's the schedule. Sanderson Farms this week, then the Shriners, Zozo, Worldwide Technology Championship, Butterfield Bermuda Championship, and the RSM Classic. Sea Island, love it. Down the Golden Isles. Speaking of folks from down south, Hayden Buckley, native of the state of Mississippi in the field this week. Currently ranked 64th in the FedEx Cup standings. Now last season had one runner-up finish and four top tens in 23 starts on tour. And Hayden Buckley joins us now from Sanderson Farms. You went to high school in Tupelo. Hayden, how busy is this week for you just in terms of handling ticket requests and trying to fix in, you know, practice with, with dinner and trying to win on the PGA Tour? Yeah, I think, you know, Steve Jen, who runs this tournament, has a, you know, he fears when I show up and ask for, you know, 20 or 30 tickets. But, uh, you know, it's always been great. This is my fourth Sanderson Farms. Believe it or not, I feel like I'm getting old, but I'm only 27. And, uh, you know, I started my career here, I think, in 2019, right, as I turned pro and, uh, you know, made that cut that year. And I, I think back to that week a lot. 
uh, just how special this tournament's been for me. And, uh, you know, but it's tough. I love being in my home state. I only get back about once or twice a year. And uh, it's, it's nice to be back. It's nice to have, you know, fans come out and see. Some of my friends will come down and see it. They don't get to watch a lot of golf. And uh, it's, it's a great week for me, but it's always fun, you know, just getting to show what Mississippi talent is out here on the PGA Tour. And you said 20 to 30 tickets. I'm wondering how deep uh, the Buckley family and friends going to be rolling as they watch you tee it up this week at the Sanderson Farms. Just 20 to 30? Could we maybe get some more sprinkling over the weekend? Yeah, that's that's being nice. 20 or 30 tickets is, is the best I can usually do. But, you know, it should be, it should be uh, a good crowd, I think. You know, there is college football this weekend, which is always tough. You know, some people like to pick that over watching me play golf, but uh, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a great crowd. Hopefully, I can play well like I've done in the past here and give them something to to really cheer for. Hey, we're both Mizzou Tigers. They're undefeated. They have LSU this weekend. Are you a big college football guy yourself? Yeah, you know I'm a, I'm a Missouri Tiger at heart, but I grew up an Ole Miss Rebel. I watched uh, I watched the game this weekend in Oxford, and I'll be watching Ole Miss Arkansas this weekend, Missouri LSU as well. Uh, I love college football. Uh, it's been for like 10 years since I've been back to a college football game. So uh, last weekend was special. Hopefully this weekend's even better. The one eye on the football field, the other on this FedEx Cup fall standings, your number 64. How are you viewing this opportunity, these, these seven tournaments in the fall, to improve status and obviously try to win on the PGA Tour for the first time? Yeah, you know, I got hurt uh, right after Travelers last year. So I think my biggest goal is to stay healthy. I missed the end of the year. I came back at this maybe a little bit too early, but I played well physically. I played well. Uh, I felt like I was getting better and better, but I've taken the last month or two off since Memphis. And I skipped Napa. I'm going to skip one more event this fall, but you know, I'll play five solid tournaments this fall and have a chance. I know that if I'm healthy, I, mean, I have a chance to compete. I have a chance to get in that, you know, the top 10, they call it. Uh, but either way, I, I've got a, I've got a lot of starts next, next spring. And, if I can play 20 events next spring and be healthy in all of them, I'll be happy and I'll have a chance to, to win like I did here two years ago. Hey, you made the FedEx Cup playoffs a year ago. Your name golf fans are becoming more familiar with. You're probably starting to get more and more autograph requests. But reading your PGA Tour bio, it looks like one of your earliest autograph requests ever was on a basketball court in China. you got to give us the story here. Yeah, you know, one summer in college, we took a trip over to China, spent two weeks there, kind of taught English to kids and, and went to these different athletic universities, they call it. So, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old kids trying to play sports, which obviously is a passion of mine. I grew up playing a lot of sports and um, these kids were just so excited to see somebody else that isn't usually around there. And, uh, we played basketball. For some reason, that was the sport of choice. Not the best basketball player, but we, we had a good time. There was about 10 of us who went over there. Just two of the best weeks of my life kind of put things into perspective. And, you know, I think I'm a little more uh, thankful for, you know, getting to do what I do for a living. And especially after getting hurt this past summer, I got hurt in college as well. Uh, it's just nice to be healthy and playing golf for a living. It's got to be an amazing cultural experience. I mean, were you on fire that day? Did they confuse you with uh, Steve Nash? Uh, how did the autograph requests work their <laughs> look, way in? Uh, look, I, I don't know. There was probably three, 400 kids, and all of them wanted an autograph. They wanted to see uh, just my name written in English. You know, it, was, it was a pretty special two weeks. 
and I think back a lot on it. You know, obviously we play in Japan in two weeks. You know, not the same exact place, but still go far from home. I had a, a great event there last year, finishing fifth. Anytime I'm over in that that part of the world, I've seemed to have a lot of fun. Looking forward to being in Japan even in two weeks. I imagine you signed a few autographs on Thursday at the players' second group out. You make a hole-in-one on the iconic 17th hole. What do you remember about that moment and kind of the mayhem that ensued? You know, it was very early in the morning, actually. Uh, as you can see, there weren't a lot of a lot of people out there for what's, what's normally out there. But, uh, you know, once that ball landed, I don't what happened after. I, I couldn't really see it go in the hole, but based on everybody's screaming, it was just... It was special, you know, and I think the best part about it is birdie in 18 and birdie in number one. You know, I made the turn, and all of a sudden I'm 500 through 10. You know, ended up missing the cut that week, didn't play well. Of course, kind of got me after that, but those three holes I think might have been might have been a highlight all yeah. 17, 18, and one. Hayden, where's the golf ball? Tell me you've got it on a on a mantle somewhere. It's in glass. You, you rub it, you know. You know, with a with a hanky every day, and it's safe and sound. Yeah, my wife's got it. I think uh, I might have accidentally teed off on 18 with it. <laughs> I didn't realize it, and luckily the driver hasn't let me down too much, so I hit it right in the middle of the fairway. But uh, I, I think I accidentally teed off with it on 18. But my wife's got it now. She's she's got it locked up somewhere, and, and hopefully she'll she'll put it somewhere nice. Well, hopefully more fireworks in store this week at the Sanderson Farms Championship. With the Sanderson Farms, we have chicken on the mind. Where do these tee markers rank among the best you see on the PGA Tour? Oh, these are some of the best. You know, the kids that do them, they, they, really, they really appreciate golf. And, you know, being a kid from Mississippi, I know how much this tournament means to those kids. And, uh, you know, I always dreamed of playing this tournament. It's, you know, some of these kids that made these tee markers probably drink the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I've always spoken so highly of this golf tournament. I really love it. I've played the course since I was a kid. I've played it at every level of golf now. And, you know, honestly, you can ask anybody here, it's some of the best greens we play on tour. They really do a great job of, of making the surface perfect and taking care of us. So I'm, I'm looking forward to playing this one, hopefully, for the rest of my career. And I hope everybody enjoys it as much as I do. Well, hey, and have a great week uh, in your home state. And best of luck to you and Georgia's Missouri Tigers M-I-Z. this weekend <laughs> as well. Thanks, guys. Those team markers are pretty cool. Are they your favorite? On the short list. I mean, okay. it's good. the backstory with them, with the Children's Hospital, yeah. the main beneficiary of the tournament for the Sanderson Farms Championship, the kids paint those team markers. I put short list, John Deere class. 100%. Tractors are Awesome. I mean, they're undefeated. Uh, Barbersall Championship Ooh. with the shaving can. Sneaky good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marathon LPGA. Okay. Uh, on the LPGA Tour, they have a mini gas pump. Oh, uh, yes, I remember seeing that. Uh, <laughs> hashtag Stacey yeah. Lewis. I tell you what, I like the uh, the Wells Fargo, like the it's like the uh, the bank thing. It's like a, yeah. it's like a little like what do you call it? It's not like it's not a, it's not a train. What is it like a? Help me out here. It's it's a wagon. Like wagon. A wagon. Yeah. Wagon, like a wagon. <laughs> it's a wagon, but, And then you go some of the, like, more high-profile events, the Olympics, you have the rings. Yeah, that's... U.S. When Open. We first you, saw that, see the 2016 US, was, pretty, was pretty cool. Pretty awesome. US, yeah. U.S. Open, you just see USGA or U.S. Open on the side. So, yeah. There's some neat ones out there, there are for some. sure. Uh, the car ones are great. The Porsche, car ones are very Porsche cool. Porsche European Open, the many Porsches there. Yes, that's true. <laughs> wagon. I got to remember. I the like wagon. the wagon, wagon wheel. I was just playing wagon wheel for my kids. 
the other day. My kids like Darius Rucker. All comes together. It all comes together. <laughs> By the way, coming together, how about for yeah. Europe these last couple of weeks? Pretty impressive. Two-week stretch, Solheim Cup, followed by a victory, Ryder Cup. Karen Stupples and Beth Ann Nichols will join us for our Golf Today roundtable. We discuss this recent run of success from Spain to Italy. Back on Golf Today, time now for a DP World Tour update. Tom Lee Fleetwood, I mean, we said it about a thousand times since Sunday, won the clinching point for the European team. Three and one victory over Ricky Fowler in the 44th Ryder Cup. Marco Simone, European, he did 14 and a half to win. Fleetwood's win after Fowler conceded on the 16th hole. Gave him that 15-10 lead. And here's Justin Rose on what made the team so cohesive and prepared. Well, no, I mean, listen, I think um, it started in the practice trip, didn't it, lads? We started yeah. to play in four balls. Um, we started to play with guys that we potentially were going to play with. Um, we were paired at Wentworth in specific pairings. Again, that kind of started the whole bonding process and also the comfort process of us all kind of understanding each other's games and dynamics. Um, you know, nothing was left to chance on that front. Every opportunity that we could have, could take to get forward and get, get more prepared, we took. And I think when you give people clarity, you know, they can kind of sink their teeth into something. When things are being very, when things are reactive, um, I don't know, it feels like you're kind of hoping for something to change versus, uh, you know, when there's a plan, it's just about execution then. And I think players, we spend our whole lives practicing to execute. So if you give us a plan, you know, something I'll say to my caddy, if you have you know, good information, there's a good chance we're going to hit a good shot. Um, we got a lot of good information this week ahead of time, so it uh, kind of kept us all pretty calm. And I think it just came down to the execution, which these lads are a pretty decent set of golfers. So um, then the statistics come into play. And uh, statistics only mean something if the players step up and, and keep their level. And I think that the captains and the vice captains kept us calm enough. They kept the noise away from us where we kept our level. And then all the planning can, can mean something. The individual records for the Europeans, Roy McIlroy, what you'd hope to see out of Roy McIlroy if you're a European golf fan going four and one. What a bounce back performance after the disappointment at Whistling Straits in 2021. And Roy McIlroy saying that Sunday in singles, when they had the faith in him to go out first and he won the match that gave him a lot of confidence leading into the end of 21 into 22 when you saw how he was able to respond yeah. being the guy with John Rahm and Victor Hovland in Rome. Had been a 500 hitter basically, you know, in before this incredible week that he had as one of the leaders in Rome. Paul McGinley came on the show and talked about the importance of Rory McIlroy having a better second half of his Ryder Cup career than the first half of his Ryder Cup career. I thought Justin Rose was very clear about how important preparation, knowledge beforehand, keeping the distractions to a minimum, how calm and comfortable all of the players were, the clarity that the team had, not to mention the sharpness competitively that the European team have. Listen, you can't tell me that Colin Morikawa isn't a dog and wants to fight, and Justin Thomas is one of the toughest hombres in the game, and thank goodness he at least played in Napa, as did Max Homa. But just those, those missing degrees, that little lack of sharpness maybe that had the uh, Europeans get off to such good starts and the Americans get off to such poor starts. You know, this is like a major championship. Five weeks, could you go without competing before you would play in a U.S. Open or 
or a Masters, it's hard to expect the American team to get off to a sharp, fast, strong start compared to the Europeans who two weeks before played great golf in Wentworth. There isn't a single big tournament, if you're a big-time player, where you would take five weeks off as your prep work leading into it. We were having this debate yesterday in the newsroom. Should it be expected that these guys played in Napa or played DP World Tour after they've had a long schedule on the PGA Tour? A lot was asked with them with everything going on in the golf world. You only have a finite amount of times to represent your country and everything that stands for. And when you represent your country, you have to put the team before your own self-interest if you're going to see yes. the best out of this collective team. There has to be pride like there is that we see in Europe. And I know these guys have a lot of pride when they're teeing it up, but that pride needs to extend with everything leading up to the event, where you have the humility to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed in order to bring the best out of that team. Max Homa was one of two guys, like we touched on in the first hour, who played the Fortnite in Napa. He's the only guy with a winning record. It's not that crazy a recipe to figure out that maybe some prep in advance would have helped the U.S. side. For them to all say prep was a non-factor was ridiculous. Aside from Jordan Spieth, who yes. said the game wasn't super sharp, just had a second kid. Yes, Understand understood. It. But if you only have 9 out of 12 on the recon trip and just 2 out of 12 play a tournament from the Tour Championship into the Ryder Cup, is that your best chance to succeed? Is that how you would treat the Masters? The U.S. Not. Open, the PGA Championship or the Open, because the Europeans... Treat the Ryder Cup as big as any other because big it's a DP World Tour, formerly known as European Tour, you know, event and, and property. We're talking PGA of America and PGA Tour. The PGA Tour and PGA of America would have to collaborate and come together and make a schedule so that it this is an American charge. It's tougher to do when you have two entities, two powerful entities that do work together from time to time, the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, much more natural. I'll say it again, much more natural when it's a DP World Tour-run European Ryder Cup franchise as opposed to the PGA of America-run franchise and you have PGA Tour players. Does that make sense? Yeah, they're playing. That's why the you have a five-week gap and, and a couple, you know, it, it would have to be putting like a huge event on a PGA Tour schedule in advance of the Ryder Cup so that everybody shows up. You had all 12 there in Wentworth. Tough golf course, narrow fairways, claustrophobic, real good prep before going to Marco Simone, in my 16 handicap opinion. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take a, a genius to do Hello? You want to be sharp. You want to be at your best. We'd never go to the Masters and not, not tee it up competitively for five weeks. Come on. Come on. You, you wouldn't want a trip to Napa a couple weeks before? You know I would go. <laughs> I'll play. Easiest for our, easy for us to say, yes, sitting yes. here on the desk. Let's turn to uh, a couple experts. One who uh, uh, has been a women's oh. Open champion in her careers. We're sticking with the European team. It was Suzanne Pedersen's squad who retained the Solheim Cup in Spain after the team ended you know with the tie with the United States so they're able to retain the Solheim Cup the aforementioned major champion and Karen Stupples and Golf Week senior writer Beth Ann Nichols now join us on the show was looking at some Solheim Cup history because on the Ryder Cup side we've seen the home team win five straight Karen we saw that from 1998 to 2005 in the Solheim Cup do you think these things are just cyclical or has it gotten to the point where the, the 
home crowd environment has such an outsized impact? I, I really do think that the, the home crowd environment is, um, is something that really, until you actually step foot inside the arena and you, you're hitting shots uh, in that environment, uh, I can't really put it into words to describe just what it's like. Uh, for me, on the, with the Solheim Cup, it's a little tamer than the Ryder Cup. And um, I've been to some Ryder Cups too, and I found the, the atmosphere for the visitors uh, really quite intense and somewhat threatening, threatening at times. I mean, it wasn't, it's, a, it's a tough place to play, for sure. Solheim Cup is a little softer, um, but nevertheless, you know, when somebody claps and cheers for a missed putt, I mean, that's kind of, kind of hits you in the stomach where it hurts. So you, it's something that you're not used to and something you do have to, to get acclimatized to. It's very noisy. It's very rowdy. Uh, golf in general is played uh, in a very quiet sort of environment. So it's something completely different. And to prepare yourself for it, um, especially if you're a rookie, it's, it's really difficult. Bethan, how would you compare the American team culture in a Solheim Cup versus the American team culture in a Ryder Cup? Easier to bond, in your opinion, for the American Solheim Cup players? Not necessarily, no. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, there's always ego. There's always going to be drama when you have a, a group of 12 together, whether it's men or women. You know, and I think that's why the captain really has to look at the personalities that, that are on the team and who they're dealing with. And I think that was why it was such a good mix with Stacey Lewis, because this was by and large a more reserved team with her five rookies who have a lot of them have more naturally quiet uh, personalities. They they lead by example rather than, you know, raw, raw cheers and and very different than than the passion and the energy that we see from Suzanne Pedersen. So. You know, I definitely think that from a culture standpoint, with five rookies on the team and given, you know, what, what Stacey saw in, in, in 2021, she really wanted to make sure that these players understood what they were playing for. And so that's why she made the history such a big deal. They were literally walking displays of history on their golf bags, on their hats. They knew what, what they had stepped into. And so, uh, you know, this was a huge building block here for Team USA, I think, because a lot of these players will be on the team for, for the next decade. And, and so that's why I think, as Angela Stanford has said, it was sort of a foundational shift for Team USA. I think what's lacking a lot in the game is seeing collaboration between LPGA Tour, PGA Tour, having more combination-type events. And cross-collaboration between the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup. Karen, do you wish there, there was more of that, especially with the opportunity that we had with those two events in Europe back-to-back -back weeks? Well, I think that's an interesting prospect. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Ryder Cup, Solheim Cup would be the place to do it. I, I think you could make a very good argument for a mixed President's Cup uh, to, to a certain extent. I think you could bolster the, uh, an international side with some of the international women players. And, and I think you would have a, an incredibly interesting matchup. Um, I, I think the way things are, I mean, obviously, the, the women's game is always going to be helped along if, uh, if, if men and the PGA Tour or the, you know, kind of want to get involved a little bit more. Um, because we see it in tennis when you have... Uh, the women's major, the, you know, the majors played at the same location. You, you get a bunch of people tuning in and watching. And, and sometimes the, the women's tennis takes more of the center stage than the, than the men's game. So I think you, you might be able to, to draw on that a little bit. Um, but I think the one place I'd like to see 
see happen might be the President's Cup. Bethann, we saw some great things at Finca Cortesine, including a tie. Europe retains the cup. But there was some Internet and social media buzz that perhaps the players should have been sent back out for a playoff of some sort. How much was that just, you know, Twitter or X now, chatter versus something that potentially the Slime Cup could do differently than the Ryder Cup? You know, I think this is a situation in which the women should take the lead here because I keep trying to imagine if the role had been reversed and this had happened at a Ryder Cup in today's modern era of social media, <laughs> I, I think it would have just been an absolute uproar that that there wasn't some type of playoff. And so I think the men probably would would change the format. And so I would like to see the women, you know, take the lead on this one because it, and I don't think it's just sour grapes on a lot of the American players, the part of the American players. I, I, I really think many of them that I've spoken to take a bigger picture approach to this. <laughs> and I think that they, they are looking from an entertainment standpoint and the value of, of, of the fans sitting on the couch saying, wait a second, how, how can this be that it's a time I'm, I'm confused when this is an event that brings a lot of people in to watch that don't normally watch women's golf. And so I think to have the most dramatic ending possible to where we have a very clear winner where somebody who lost isn't walking away saying, hey, we didn't lose, we tied. What? <laughs> You're crying and the other team's celebrating. Clearly you lost. So, you know, I, I just think we don't need that. that. Karen, as a competitor, uh, I, uh, yeah, what do you think? No, I, 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 I disagree. I mean, in that, I think that for, for a lot of Europeans, uh, we're used to sports that have ties. So for there to be a definitive winner is not uh, as high on our priority list. Over here in America, there's, it's very much about a win. I mean, it's, um, it's hard to imagine that a, a sport could have a tie. But you think of, of soccer, there's nil-nil draws. You think about cricket. People play for five days and it ends up with a tie in cricket. <laughs> So there's all kinds of things that happen over in Europe that cause ties. Now, the one thing I would say with regards to the Solent Cup and Ryder Cup, could you imagine sending off one person to shoulder the burden of the whole team after you've played for three days and the responsibility just falls down on that one person when it's been a team event all week long? Unless you can find a way to get every single one of those players on the golf course and playing as a team, then why would you have a playoff? And, and to be honest with you, if you're an American side and you're, and you're trying to regain the cup, you know that your points number is 14 and a half. If you don't get to 14 and a half, you didn't achieve the goal of winning the cup back. Whether it's a tie, fine, you, you can still say it's a tie, but you didn't achieve the goal. If you're a European, you know that you have to get to 14 points to retain the trophy. There is a definitive line there in the sand as to what happens anyway. Just because we, we want, over here in America, finalized results doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. And I do think that, that, you know, if you send one or two players out, I mean, imagine how they would feel if it didn't work out and they were the ones that were, you know, everything was riding on after three days of a whole team. If we can devise a way for all 12 players to do it, uh, you, might, you might kind of get me on board with it. But otherwise, leave it as it is. I'd love to poll Solheim Cup players and Ryder Cuppers <laughs> and see if they would want a mm. playoff or that's too much pressure. Give me the ball, George. Unfair. Give me the ball. <laughs> Barely put on one person. <laughs> Last question, and it, it's, it's amazing how this has now happened with both the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup. Europeans have won five of seven 
in the Solheim Cup. They've won 10 of 14 in the Ryder Cup. So they've had the sustained runs now on both sides. Uh, Karen, let's start with you. Is that endemic of team culture? Is that just a streak they've been able to put together from a Solheim Cup side? If you're an American fan, should be concerned they haven't won since 2017. What's your read? I think it's a I think it's a depth thing as much as anything else that 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 the European teams are much deeper than they have in the past. You're seeing players go and play on the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour. They're not just playing their golf in Europe anymore. They're much more world travelers. They're exposed to the very best competition week in week out. So they're much used more used to seeing these top American stars um, play and what what they're going to be exposed to and expected of them in terms of the game. So. I think you're seeing a really well-prepared uh, set of European players in terms of their own games. And, and they have a bunch of people behind them that knows how to get the most out of them in, in any kind of match play situation. Um, so I, I think you're seeing a bunch of really motivated players that, that for years have been seen as the underdogs, still playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, you know, thinking about... You know, people don't think we can win this. People don't think we can achieve this. And, and anytime you put that kind of thought in 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 a player's mind, they're, they're always going to try and rise to the occasion because that's just the nature of, of competitive sport. So I think you have that as a, as a bit of an influence there with the with the European team. And I think for, for the American side, I think they've they've been a little bit used to, to winning sort of certainly President's Cups and things like that. And it's very easy to be take it a little bit for granted, especially with the you know, from the President's Cup side, they play every other year as well. They're, they're used to dominating in that. So it's it's hard to kind of get up and running to play against a very highly driven European team. What do you think, Beth Ann? Time for another task force, maybe Solheim Cup style? No, I actually think the men are more in need of that than, than the American women. <laughs> I think the American women are, are on a good path here. And I think what Stacey Lewis did these past two years to to lay the foundation, as I said earlier, to get players to buy in so that, you know, she's obviously going to be the captain next year, which is which is great in terms of carrying on this momentum, but so that the next captain will have players who are already bought into to what you're trying to accomplish. And so I, I definitely feel like this was a big shift for Team USA this year, and they have a lot to build on. And, and I don't think there's anything to worry about going into next year when you look at some some pairings that that we've never seen before that did quite well in Spain that I'm sure we'll see again and just a lot of camaraderie where this it meant something to this team they they cried when they lost for a reason well we uh, heard or when the, they tied <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we heard the european men singing europe's on fire usa is terrified that's been the results on both the solheim cup side and the ryder cup side beth ann and karen uh, appreciate it <laughs> thank Welcome. you take a look at who's in the race to the CME Globe. Damon, I wasn't going to sing it. I know you wanted me to, to sing that, but I just oh, yes. I don't have the pipes for it. It's all right. There's always tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow's a new day. That's race right. to the CME Globe. Celine Boutier is at the top of the list, as you see right now where the top 10 are, and we're into October, home stretch of the season with the LPGA Tour schedule. All right, folks, stay with us. We're catching up with Mackenzie Hughes, defending champ. This week's PJ Tour stop. Nice Canadian fella, Sanderson Farms Championship this week. Mackenzie had some pretty introspective words on, on the challenges in playing this great game. You'll hear those next on Golf Today. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. 
Back on golf today, PGA Tour back in action as the FedEx Cup fall moves forward to Mississippi for the Sanderson Farms Championship. You can catch live first round coverage this Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time right here on Golf Channel from Jackson, Mississippi. And last fall, it was Mackenzie Hughes who defeated Sepp Straka in the second playoff hole to capture the title in Jackson. It's his second victory on the PGA Tour after his first game at the 2016 RSM Classic. Also in a playoff, so Mackenzie Hughes with a flair for the dramatic, and now he gets ready for his title defense this week at the Sanderson Farm Championship. Joining us now on the show, Mackenzie, uh, what's it like being back on property at a place you've won before? Yeah, it feels it feels good. Uh, I played the back nine today, and just going around and reliving some of those shots and those memories uh, is a lot of fun. So. I imagine that feeling is not going to go away for uh, quite some time. And, yeah, it's, it's good to be back. I uh, see a lot of familiar faces, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a great week. I, You know, you don't defend a PGA Tour event very often, and uh, I'm excited to do that this week. Mackenzie, you're a proud Canadian. I know you don't have a dog in the fight necessarily in a Ryder Cup. You know players on both sides. Did you watch? What did you think of the happenings in Rome? Yeah, there was uh, some pretty uh, passionate and uh, heated celebrations and controversies, and it made for some pretty good TV. Uh, the the golf, I, I would say, it felt like Europe was going to win the whole time. Uh, you know, from that first session on, it didn't seem like they were going to lose the the Ryder Cup. But uh, there was some, there was a few moments where it almost got close. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun to watch and, and fun to watch those guys. Uh, you know, go back and forth, but um, yeah, it's uh, always compelling TV, and hopefully, I'll get to do that uh, against Americans next year in Canada. How big a motivator is that for you, knowing that next year Montreal is going to be the uh, epicenter for the Presidents Cup? Yeah, that's uh, that's a big one for me. I I think of all the ones I've had on my radar for the last while, whether it's uh, Olympics or different majors, this and that. I mean, the President's Cup in Canada, to me, is, is the, the biggest one I've had on my radar. And, uh, with Mike Weir as the captain, there really couldn't be uh, any more motivation that uh, they could provide me. So, yeah, I'll be trying really hard for that team, and hopefully uh, come next year, I'll be one of those automatic qualifiers and I'll have to rely on a pick. Mackenzie, I spent some time with you at the match play. You finished tied for fifth, had a great run there. In Austin, you've been struggling a little bit of late. You said over the summer, a great article in golf.com, and one reason you hate golf is because you can try really, really hard, work really, really hard, and sometimes get absolutely nothing out of it. Where are you in your relationship with golf right now? You know, for me, I'm, I'm trying to basically put golf in its rightful place in my life, and uh, certainly... I love golf and I have loved it for my entire life, but uh, you know, there are more important things uh, in my life. Uh, I like, like for my, for my family, uh, that's obviously number one. And um, so I think I, I still love what I'm doing and yeah, while I haven't had the results um, the last six or seven months, uh, I still really enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy putting in the work and I know that hard work, in the short term doesn't always guarantee results, but I think over the long term, 
if you're doing the right things over and over and over again, uh, long term, I like my chances. So uh, still working hard, putting in the, the time and the effort. And I'm pretty optimistic I can get this thing to turn around uh, pretty soon. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of positive signs in my game. And uh, like I said, I'm still enjoying putting in the work and doing what I'm doing. So uh, one of these days, it'll, it'll turn and click and, you know, it'll feel like I'm running, running downhill. You were part of that big Canadian contingent who won last season on the PGA Tour. Nick Taylor had that incredible win at the RBC Canadian Open. Corey Cotters, Adam Svensson. Adam Hadwin has won before on the PGA Tour. It didn't happen last season. But you have this, this core group of guys, all similar age ranges. And everything now is leading up next 12 months, honestly, with, with the President's Cup being in Canada. How amazing has it been to see a lot of your peers that you competed with as a kid or in college that are now out there and also winning at the same time as you on the PGA Tour. Yeah, to, sh to share that with them, um, you know, guys that I consider my friends and, uh, you know, you know, quite close with, uh, you know, a few of them. And it just, uh, yeah, it, to have that camaraderie uh, with the guys and, um, you know, I can't tell you how many practice rounds um, that was played together over the last uh, handful of years. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun to kind of progress all of us. Uh, all of us, I think, have progressed in our games the last you know, three, four years. And uh, every one of those guys motivates me. And I hope that at times I've been able to motivate them. And uh, I think that we kind of all spur each other along. And I think if you ask any one of us, we're all, you know, all kind of thinking about next fall and all thinking about that President's Cup a little bit and how cool that would be if, you know, two or three of us got on that team and uh, got to play for Mike. So uh, it's really cool to be part of that group and hopefully uh, we'll keep adding to those numbers uh, over the course of the next uh, three, four, five years. Mackenzie, the defending champ, how powerful is visualization reliving some of the moments from one year ago to kind of turn that ship around for you? I've been watching lots of highlights from last year and trying to kind of recapture some of that magic and just visualize all those good things happening. So it's definitely, I, I believe a lot in visualization and, and seeing those good things happen. So uh, it's a big part of uh, what I do and sort of my prep is, you know, visualizing great things happening, uh, visualizing the great shots. And I think it can never hurt. Uh, you know, it's hard to quantify how much that helps, I guess, but it certainly can never hurt watching those things. And um, I've definitely, you know, got lots of good memories uh, stored uh, in my memory from last year. Yeah, visualization important part of sports, golf, and life. Hey, best of luck this week in your title defense, and thanks for the time, Mackenzie. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right, folks, you can watch first round coverage of the Sanderson Farms Championship. It's underway Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on Golf Channel.